Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I wanted to explain the connection between the prophecy of Ezekiel against the big secular pagan nations and Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God because that connection, it took me a little while just in preparing for this morning to see, wait, how do these things go together? And I think the great contrast there is that the nations of the world sort of grow up in pride um, and the Lord ends up bringing them each to an end. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom of all those who are under God's rule, there's a sort of, in contrast, there's a humility to it. A mustard tree is not a very big tree. It's not a cedar of Lebanon that reaches to the skies. It's not a redwood of California. Um, It's a little humble tree. And yet, that same imagery of the birds of the air will find their shade in it is used. That was said about the nation Ezekiel prophesied against and about the kingdom of God, meaning that although it's humble and little, it actually is sort of the strength and container of all the world. As we see, in fact, the church has spread into all the world and is enduring throughout, you know, superseding all civilizations that come and go. So all that to say is sort of about the gospel and the thing, but what I really want to preach on this morning um, is this passage from 2 Corinthians. Um, As an Englishman... I'm very sensitive to the concept of home. Uh, The the very word kind of sits very deeply with me, and I'm keenly aware of the distinction between a house and the home that you can make in it, and the difference that exists there. Um, And one of the things I've learned about Alabama culture is there's a lot of overlap with English culture, this sort of deep love of home and the homeland. It's almost sort of the hobbit's impulse to love the Shire. I'm glad. What I mean to say is I feel like in Alabama culture I'm recognizing my own birth people. Um, And home as a concept, it exists at several layers, right? Almost like one of these Russian nesting dolls. There's our own individual homes, the homes you've each created in the house in which you live. There's maybe the home you grew up in, which may still uh, have a deep place in your heart. There's our home state, right? That sort of in which our local home is nested, and then our nation, our homeland, um, in which our state sits. And we have all these layers of home kind of stacked on each other. But I believe the truth of the scripture this morning, embedded in these words of St. Paul, is that none of these things, neither our domicile or the state that we live in, is our true home. These are only temporary homes. They're only temporary homes. They are the homes that exist while we are in the body, which is a temporary existence in a mortal body. We will eventually have immortal bodies forever. But as a mortal body, this is something, this is a life we are just passing through. Paul says, our true home is with the Lord. And here he actually flips a few verses earlier in the passage, as we heard. He speaks about um, being, you know, home here on earth. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather be away with the Lord than home here. But then he flips it in these verses and says, no, no, no. The actual lay of the land is home is with the Lord. This is the away game, not not the other way around. We are at home with the Lord. And he's speaking very clearly about his life after death, the life beyond this mortal life. This is um, an idea that um, the Holy Spirit will speak through St. Paul in many different ways, in many different letters. In Philippians, 
he talks about our citizenship being in heaven. Sort of that larger picture of the homeland. It's not just sort of, you know, Jesus uses this language, right? Um, he goes away to prepare a room for us in his heavenly habitation. So there's a sort of very domestic sense in which heaven is our home. And there's kind of a political sense in which heaven is our home. It is the homeland. I just remembered that um, there was a rabbi, Jewish rabbi, who spoke of the Bible as a, a portable homeland. Um, that has nothing to do with the sermon, but I love that picture, that the scripture, like, it may be able to read the scripture. Well, maybe it does have something to do. Um, you're connecting with this description of our true, our true homeland in heaven. Um, I want to offer an analogy in terms of how this sort of works with our true homeland being in heaven. Um, out of my own life, I am a dual citizen. Uh, I have two passports. And I'm sure you all, you all have a drawer at home somewhere with like, valuable documents. I got a drawer, like, a drawer like that with uh, two passports in it, a British passport and an American passport. I was uh, born in South Carolina, so I am actually a native southerner, um, which not a lot of people know, but um, uh, to an American mother. So I got a, an American citizenship. But my father, even though I was born on this soil, is British, and so Great Britain granted me British citizenship because of who my dad is as well. So I have, still have, to this day, uh, two passports. And I think we have a small, like a, a slightly useful analogy in that, in that when each of us is reborn, so not born the first time, but reborn into the kingdom of God through the waters of baptism, even though we're born on foreign soil, as it were, we then receive citizenship in heaven. We get the passport to heaven. I actually saw a, like an evangelistic tract one time, that, and it looked like a passport, and it opened it and it said, this is your passport to heaven. And, you know, like all tracts, at first I was like, oh, this is going to be so cheesy. And I was like, whoa, we actually have a passport to heaven. <laughs> um, it's actually a fairly profound thought. Um, and I, what it means is that when we are baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit, which means we're stamped, the biblical language is sealed, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're marked, as it were, as belonging to heaven. Uh, and, and heaven wants its property back. Now that, I want to say, it's not a guarantee. There's a sort of mistaken idea that, well, just because you're baptized, well, therefore, hey, heck, you're going to heaven, no matter what happens. I, I wish that that were the case. But like a passport, it means the doors to heaven have been opened, and yet it is still the work of God in your life to get you there. That just owning the passport is not the guarantee that you'll make it to the homeland, but it means that if you show up at the TSA of the homeland, thank, thank goodness there's no TSA in heaven, um, but it means that if you show up, you have a passport. You are a rightful citizen. You belong to that nation. And so the whole work of the Christian life of following Jesus in faith and seeking to obey him and to please him, as it says in our letter today, that is the, the work of God in our lives, the thing that eventually will guide us into God's presence when we die, his mercy operating in our life. Um, but the passport is the beginning of that journey and it is the rightful, it means you have rightful entrance when that day comes. I'm talking about all this idea of homeland um, because I think there's two significant implications if, of us getting this right. That that's our real home and this is just our temporary home. Um, the first is actually to sort of build on what I preached about last week. The verse I read last week began, um, so we do not lose heart. And the verse I began with this week says, yes, we are of good courage. 
I think there can be real encouragement in the midst of difficulty, specifically difficulty of the body. Paul's talking a lot about this sort of embodied life, right? When the body turns against us and we're in pain and distress and trial, there's great comfort in knowing this is a temporary setup. This is not the be-all and end-all. We have an ultimate home, an ultimate existence with God forever in which there won't be a body that causes pain and misery, in which there won't be stress and tears and agony. And keeping that in mind can give us courage to get through. I mean, I think about you know, some of the stories which you are recounted from prisoners of war, that it's the memories of their home, the thing they're hoping to get back to, which gives them courage to keep going under great trial. And it's the same thing with us. We have never seen heaven yet, but in faith we know that we have a true homeland with God in heaven. And that memory should keep us going, give us courage in the midst of this transitory life. So that's the first implication, I think, of rightly understanding heaven as our true homeland, is courage. The second thing, I think, is um, it should caution us to not over-invest in what is not our permanent home. I mean, imagine if someone let themselves go bankrupt and let their own house fall into decay because of all the camping gear they were invested in. Right? It would be like, wait, no, no, you've got to set up your main home first, and if there's money left over, we'll buy some camping gear. And yet, I think, by analogy, that's our inclination as sort of fleshly human beings who are fixed on, overfixed on things that are visible. We can spend so much investment in this transitory life, our temporary home, and neglect to sort of store, as to use our Lord's language, to store up our treasure in heaven, to be invested in our true home. I think what this means is it is appropriate to have some concern for a healthy body, uh, a nice house, a flourishing nation state. Like, a bit of concern about these things is fine and ordered according to God's providence. But over-concern to be sort of maximally invested in, oh no, what's going to happen to my house? Or what's going to happen to Alabama or this nation? Or, or these things is actually to sort of be over-invested, I believe, in uh, what is temporary. The Bible actually says that, when rightly understood, a knowledge of being with God being our home actually renders all of these temporary homes like not even home at all. Peter, in his first letter, would, would say this, chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Which is a very curious way of addressing people, to say exiles. Well, exiles from where? Where have they been kicked out from? Well, they haven't been kicked out of anywhere, but they're exiles. They are wanderers away from the true homeland. That as long as we're on earth, some translations say we are resident aliens here. We're living on a green card, as it were. Um, actually, I looked at some, some translations actually say we are immigrants here, away from our true homeland. In, in these embodied lives, in our homes, in Alabama, in the United States, um, these are all good things. They're blessings God has given us. We are to care for them with an ordinate attention. But we're not to get tricked into thinking that this is our permanent, our permanent place, our permanent home. I think even more, um, to sort of go one step further, um, it sometimes is thought, thought to me like, well, what would happen if, from in, my, in my case, what would happen if um, Britain and America were to ever go to war? I mean, it's very unlikely, but I, I'd be sort of, house divided in myself, like I would actually have to pick 
which state I would ally with and, and fight for and maybe you know, be called to die for defending. I'd have to pick. You couldn't serve both when they clash. And I think it's the exact same thing um, when we contrast our temporary homes with our heavenly home. And there really actually is no contest. It's not, hmm, well, which one should I side with? Of course, we should always side with the one that's going to be eternal, with our heavenly home. This is why Paul, after all this teaching, pivots to say, whether we are at home, by which he means dead and with the Lord, or away, meaning in this mortal life, we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him because it's him we're going to live with forever. It's him who's going to have something eternal for us, which we will have to live with forever. And that's why we seek to please him. So if the rule of the kingdom of God, if our true homeland dictates something which ever comes in contest with our temporary homelands, we've got to always pick the, true, the ruling of the true kingdom, the ruling of our true king, Jesus Christ. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Amen.